Hello, and welcome to the Bureau of 42 Silver Screen Superheroes podcast. And for this moment, or episode, also, it is part of the Greatest Science Fiction Film Tournament podcast series. I am your host, Alex Case, and this time I am taking a look at Hellboy 2 The Golden Army, directed by Guillermo del Toro, and starring Ron Perlman, Soma Blair, and being as both the body and voice of Abe Saprian, Doug Jones. This is a sequel to the film Hellboy, obviously. And a few additional notes here on the cast, aside from the characters who are returning. We have a new antagonist, in terms of Prince Nuada, played by Luke Goss, and a new member of the supporting cast of the BPRD, with Johann Krauss, played by James Dodd at the suit performance, and Seth MacFarlane as the voiceover. Now, McFarland is best known for being the creator of the sort of animated sitcom triumvirate of Family Guy, American Dad, and The Cleveland Show, and doing multiple voice acting roles in each of those programs. Luke Goss has various acting roles, to his credit. He'd worked with Del Toro previously on Blade 2, and he also has, since this, has done... Um, the direct-to-video sequel to the remake of Death Race, Death Race 2, among a few other television roles. He'd done an episode of, of Fringe, among other things. So the suit performer of, um, for Kraus, also I might be known as, uh, no, could two of them, but the other one being, uh, John Alexander. John Alexander had also done special effects and suit performance work for Men in Black, which we'll be talking about later in the uh, uh, Greatest Science Fiction Film Tournament podcast. The 2001 remake of Planet of the Apes, Zathura, and also Men in Black 2. James Dodd is the other part of the other of, of the physical side of Krauss, and his background has mainly been in dance, in terms of acting performances. He'd played a dancer in Layer Cake and an uncredited role, he played a dancer in a BBC production of Trouble in Tahiti in an uncredited role. So, yeah. Oh, sorry, he was credited in that, but he's just, again, a background dancer. So, he's mainly being cast for his physical contributions to the role. Jeffrey Tambor returns as Tom Manning. John Hurt returns in a brief cameo appearance as Professor Broom at the beginning of the film, during the prologue. Prince Nuwala's twin sister, Princess Nuwala, played by Anna Walton. Walt has done various science fiction roles. She's been in Mutant Chronicles, also with putting her with Ron Perlman. She's been in the television series Rain, playing Diane de Poitiers, and in the Caruso television series, playing Susanna Caruso. So the film, once again, follows the BPRD and Hellboy in particular, in this case contending with Prince Nuwada, a prince of the Fey folk, who feels that mankind has violated their truce to stick to the cities, which brought a ancient war many, many eons ago, and thus seeking to resurrect the Golden Army, with which it would use to wipe humanity from the face of the Earth, and the BPRD must stop this. In the meantime, Hellboy has been acting out and wanting to be more visible to the public, which is causing no end of problems for Tom Manning, of the, uh, the head of the BPRD, and leading to Hellboy being in conflict with the rest of humanity. So, I have my minor problems with this film. I like urban fantasy. 
However, there are elements of urban fantasy as a genre which I'm not the biggest fan of. In particular, frankly, there are works in urban fantasy which like to play up the concept of conflict between science and technology versus magic and mysticism. With the idea being that they're completely incompatible, and to a certain degree, one is more, like, with magic often being more in the right than science and technology is. This has come up, for example, in some of Mercedes Lackey's urban fantasy novels. This comes up in other urban fantasy films, some urban fantasy films. But it's a ro- it's a part of the World of Darkness role-playing game universe, the classic World of Darkness, particularly as depicted in Changeling and Mage. I bring this up because those themes kind of come up here, and I don't really like them very much. It My perspective on this is somewhat colored by the fact that my introduction to urban fantasy was through a franchise of cyberpunk fiction, the Shadowrun tabletop role-playing game, where, yes, magic and technology somewhat clash, but they are otherwise fairly compatible. I mean, yeah, if you have cybernetics, you're weakened in terms of your magical power, but there's nothing stopping a mage using a computer or swapping magical formulae over the internet or that sort of thing. There's a sense of coexistence there, which, and that's a coexistence, but symbiosis between them which a lot of urban fantasy works either issue or not just avoid, but blatantly have a conflict about. And in this case here where this comes up is Nuwada is less a a villain and more an anti-villain. His purposes, as set up in the work, make sense. He, uh, mankind has... Because they were created with a hole in their heart and thus have a greedy nature because they seek to fill this hole by any means necessary, have violated their promise to stick to the cities and are destroying the environment, and thus the truce is broken. It's just that Nuwada's goal is outright genocide. But the way the work is, the way the universe is set up in the, the Hellboy stories, there can either be magical beings or there can be humans, then they can never actually coexist, which means, consequently, mankind will is fated to turn on Hellboy. So, it's not necessarily in his best interest to ally with humans after all, except that the on the other side of things, we have the freaking gods of chaos, the Ugru, Ugru Jihad, Jihad, which seek to destroy all life on Earth. So, ultimately, Hellboy 2, while potentially a good work of urban fantasy, does not mesh well at all with the Hellboy universe, with the first film and the comics. Further, in this film, compared to the original Hellboy, Hellboy's just much more of a jerk. Like a childish, impulsive, obnoxious, self-involved jerk. He's like all of the worst elements of a teenager, of like an older, like a early high school, mid high school teenager, without the excuse of being played by a teenager, but instead being played by 40, 50 something Ron Perlman. And understand that in terms of certain degree emotional maturity as a teenager, and to a certain degree, based on his lifespan, how long he'll live and where he is in his life, he's probably a teenager. It's kind of described as such in Hellboy 1 when Myers is introduced to Hellboy. 
but it doesn't work here, and it really doesn't mesh well with Hellboy as presented in the comics either. And I realize the films and comics are their own things, and they stand alone, they're adaptations, and there will be changes in between them. When it comes to making changes for the likability of the characters, it doesn't work here. It, it feels kind of wrong in the first film, while Hellboy did not like Manning at all, he tried to get along with his handle with his other handlers. He got along fairly well. He didn't like Myers, but Myers is new and Myers is different, and he thought to a certain degree that Myers was trying to muscle in on his girl. And but we had this olive branch forming between Manning and Hellboy at the end of the first film. And Hellboy got along well with the rest of the BPRD agents, and Hellboy got along well with other humans, and it just doesn't work here. Probably a great example of this, there's a scene in the film where Hellboy is rescuing a baby from this giant monster, and Hellboy ultimately ends up killing it, and when it dies, it goes into full bloom, because it's a plant monster. And a bunch of, and there's a bunch of people who witness Hellboy fight this battle, and Hellboy beats the monster and saves all these people in public, and the people cheer, and Hellboy chews them out because of this. And this scene rubbed me absolutely the wrong way. Because, and the sentiment that Del Toro was going for here, and I suspect, and... By extension, this is the sentiment that Hellboy has in his speech is this great glorious monster has of which its like has never been seen by people really before and may never be seen again has been destroyed and something beautiful is lost and people don't understand that. But on the other hand, their lives were saved. A child was saved. They were rescued and their this cheering was less, oh, you destroyed something beautiful and more, we are grateful for your help. We respect you. And Hellboy's response felt wrong, and the sentiment that Del Toro was going for here, the intent behind the scene, which clearly comes through. It's not a case of artistic intent and the ultimate presentation of the scene not meshing. It's clear. Del Toro's direct is, intent is clear in the film, and when Del Toro is trying to get something across in a movie, he is really good about getting it across. It feels wrong and it doesn't work for me and it makes me, it drags me out of the film and makes me not enjoy it and it, it makes it harder for me to recommend and revel in the film and in the craftsmanship of this as a work of fiction. I like Hellboy. I like the first film. I like the comics. This isn't a case of me not wanting to come, not coming to the film wanting to buy what it's selling. I do. I did. I want more Hellboy movies, but this film really doesn't work for me at all. So, having got those sentiments out, we do need to kind of talk about how this film fared at the box office and fared critically. Our rule of thumb when it comes to how well a film does at the box office is it needs to make back twice its budget. Hellboy's production budget, according to BoxOfficeMojo.com, was approximately... 85 million dollars with a domestic take of 75 million dollars about 76 which is not even close adding in the worldwide gross we get a worldwide gross of 160 million which is better but still not great to a certain degree part of the problem is while hellboy opened at number one in the box office when it came out looking at box office mode Bojo in the week-by-week -week box office take, it's clear that this film ran into the brick wall that is The Dark Knight, which came out the next weekend. Dark Knight has already been discussed by Blaine earlier on in the podcast series when it was big screen Batman. Award-wise, this film did fairly well among science fiction awards. 
uh, was won the Saturn Award for Best Horror Film and was nominated for Best Makeup and Best Special Effects, and nominated for Academy Award for Best Makeup and Hairstyling, which is impressive. I the first film did not get that. It even got a whole bunch of Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, with Perlman winning for Best Actor and Doug Jones winning for Best Supporting Actor, and also winning for Best Creep Makeup and Creature Effects, which it deserves. One of the sequences of this film is in this location called the Goblin Market, which is a fey marketplace, and has all sorts of various creatures, and is clearly basically Del Toro trying to make the Hellboy urban fantasy equivalent of the Moss Eisley Cantina scene, and it really works. It's really impressively done, and I do really like this portion of the film. Now, the other point of note is, how did this fare in the greatest science fiction film tournament? Well, the bad news is it did not place. Of our rankings on the site, over half of the people who voted stated they did not see it, with the remainder of the vote being weighted more towards average, with um, a few people giving it above average, and the lowest number of votes going for below average. And I would agree that this film is among... It's kind of average, unfortunately. Not in terms of presentation, not in terms of costume designs and makeup and action sequences. It is above average in those respects. But narratively, because of how well it doesn't work for me, it becomes less of a thing of where I feel unquestioningly that you should see this movie, that that it is beyond a shadow of a doubt one of the strongest science fiction films of all time and strongest fantasy and superhero films of all time, but it is certainly a strong and good superhero film, but it's not something I would recommend without question. If you've seen Hellboy, you haven't seen Hellboy 2, certainly see it to get the, the continuation of the story. Ron Perlman is a fantastic Hellboy. He is all... He is perfect in the role, and I do hope we get a Hellboy 3, and we do I do hope he gets to return to playing the role, but this is not, in my opinion, as strong a film as the first Hellboy movie. It is definite, a definite case, in my opinion, of a sophomore slump, and it does somewhat bear mentioning to a certain degree that this is the first time, to my knowledge, Guillermo del Toro has done a sequel to one of his own movies. He's done sequels before, certainly. He did Blade 2, which is a sequel. But he's never done a sequel to one of his own films before this, and I don't know if this was the deliberate choice in his part, or if he just couldn't get one green lit. But this didn't quite mesh for me, and I wish we'd gotten something that was that worked a little better. So, next time, we're going to start, well, setting the groundwork for Blade 2 by discussing Blade 1, and the first major Marvel film that actually got released in theaters as opposed to direct-to-video or to television, like the Incredible Hulk movies, or was made for contractual obligations and is only available as a bootleg through the convention circuit, like the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. So, we will see you then.